everyone to re-engage the Next Generation podcast. We are so excited to have our second episode with you here. We are people of a certain age who grew up with the Next Generation, and it was influential on each and every one of us. And here in 2020, as we're struggling for meaning, we thought, why not go back to our history, to where we last felt in control, taken care of, in a nice cocoon, were it? That's right the next generation. My name is Kate Yeager. I am this week's host. I'm extremely excited to be here with three of my fabulous friends, starting with Mr. Greg Tito. Greg, how are you? Hello, how are you? I'm very excited to be here talking about uh, the second episode of Next Generation. The Naked Now. Mm, I'm going to put some clothes on. (laughs) Yes, please. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry, I thought we were were all doing that. (laughs) And of course, we've got Mr. Eric Gratton. Eric, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. And it's the Naked Now, now. And back then, it was the Naked Now, then. And now it's the Naked Now. And time time is a loop. We'll find that out later. That's fantastic. It is. (laughs) And of course, last but not least, Mr. Jimmy G. Jimmy, how you doing? I am well. I'm very excited to make it so. To engage. Number you... one. To re-engage as to it is. To re-engage was. as it is. Yeah. As it is and was and evermore shall be. Yes. So here we are with, uh, well, disputedly episode number two or episode number three, depending on who you ask. Because, of course, our first episode was a two-parter. Uh, the the uh, Farpoint episodes uh gave us two hours of lovely television so now we've got beautiful episode three or the second episode that we got to see the naked now stardate 41209.2 first aired october 5th 1987 i've got a nielsen rating of 11.5 not quite as good as bar point but not as bad as it was gonna get (laughs) (laughs) number one on the billboard charts was miss whitney houston didn't we almost have it all we We almost it was there at their fingertips such a beautiful song comes right there and in my feels (laughs) all the feels whitney we miss you i'm crying and of course the number one movie that week fatal attraction (gasps) wow that was a moment the bunny boiler as it were were any of you allowed to... Now, Jimmy, you were probably of the right age to watch, but you may not have been in the right country to watch Fatal Attraction. Uh, I was not in the right country, but I did see it via the VHS tape, Ooh. which the, the children's might not know is the uh, olden days way of watching movies. Um, and uh, I still make references to, I will put a boiling rabbit in your pot if you don't watch out. <laughs> It's, it's a uh, something that uh, to, Eric to whom to, do you make that reference? Anytime I feel jealous, so it's that whole thing that Eric and I used to talk about on our old podcast, the vernacular of movies, where you can shorthand meeting just by referencing something that happened in the movie. So uh, anytime I get jealous, it's a boiling rabbit in the pot. <laughs> I'm still not allowed to see Ooh. that movie. Yeah, I still can't watch it. It's like, my mom would be very upset and just look down at me uh, and go pray for me. I'm sure. In my head, it's connected to like six or seven other thrillers of that time, leading to like Basic Instinct as the end of that run. But like, there's The Morning After with Jeff Bridges and Jane Fonda, and there's The Jagged Edge with I think Jeff Bridges and Glenn Close, and then there's. Uh, uh, Basic inst- or Fatal Attraction with Michael Douglas and getting close. And, and Lloyd Bridges. Michael Douglas. And <laughs> that's right. It's all interconnected. <laughs> but I really feel like, in particular, uh, uh, Fatal Attraction is just one of those movies that is of a certain time. It's yeah. great. At, speaking of being for a certain time, this episode, my goodness, was of a certain time. I, I am fairly positive that had my parents watched The Next Generation with me, I would have never been allowed to watch it again after this episode. Uh, watching it today uh, just brought me back to prepubescent Kate. Before we get there, let's talk about uh, the writer on this one, J. Michael Bingham. And if you're asking yourself, who is that? You're not wrong. That's a pseudonym uh, for our good friend. A nom de plume. A nom de plume. 
<laughs> for mm-hmm. our good friend DC Fontana, yes. who uh, had them take her name off of this episode after uh, rewrites instigated by Mr. Roddenberry himself, and mm. uh, not a happy camper, as it were. What was it about her... this episode that she was unhappy with? Right. Yeah. Uh, per- particularly, uh, she was unhappy with the way that Roddenberry went in and retouched the scenes with particularly the female characters. Mm. Um, did not enjoy how th- those characters were changed, I think, to become more sexual. Um, there's actually a great quote from her. Um, While the script was given a good reaction by almost everyone, the Roddenberry pattern of dealing with the scripts befell it. After a staffer turned it in, the official second draft of the script, they were not allowed to touch it again. No matter how good a script appeared to be, it would be written by Gene Roddenberry. If possible, scenes of sexual content would be inserted into the screen or script. When two such scenes were put into the naked noun, in addition to other scenes which I felt debased the female characters of the series, I put my Mm. sentiments into a frankly worded memo of comments on the script, and my comments were ignored. Hmm. So DC was fair not enough. a happy camper. Yeah, fair enough. I love that. I love that she took her name off it. That can't have been an easy decision to make. I mean, she didn't clearly known Roddenberry for twenty five years. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, she she was all invested in her career with Star Trek. I'm sure at this point, like that's a very brave thing to have done. Good for her. I yeah. wonder if it yeah. also had repercussions for how. I mean, you know, we'll get to some of this in season two and the departures of cast members. But I wonder if this was the first, if not you know, the first kind of foray of like there being the sense that there, there was a sexist environment behind the scenes and mm. uh, the departure of some many, many actresses because of that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And I mean, Rodberry is of that time. Uh, and however progressive it may have seemed on this show, obviously there were some old school things happening with the way uh, some of those characters were written. Because now that you write, you know, you mentioned it, by old school, you mean racist and sexist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, totally. And, and you know, people who, like, he was probably on the left. And here we are still, we're talking about things that um, oh, he are certainly unacceptable. thought he was. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, last thing of, of interest that I'll say, we'll talk more about uh, DC, I'm sure, as this episode goes along. Uh, but we get... Uh, one of our only opportunities to see the first chief engineer of the Enterprise, mm-hmm. Brooke Bundy, yes, uh, who is best known for her role as Elaine Parker in 1987's A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, yep. Dream Warriors. She was in several the, of them. And the sequel, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master in 1988. Mm-hmm. So although we did not get to keep her as first chief, as our chief engineer, we at least got to, uh, no. she got to be a final girl, so... But she is in the books, um, but she has divergent histories in the books. So in, in some of them, she, uh, she carries on and retires happily from Starfleet. But then uh, in another book, she's actually killed off. So, oh, man. But she does have uh, history in the Star Trek canon uh, uh, in two separate uh, sort of uh, happenstances. Oh, interesting. That is pretty cool. Well, it certainly a won't parallel be our... worlds theory. Ah, there we go. <laughs> it's it's part of the MCU now. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily this won't be our only chance to talk about an, a new chief engineer of the Enterprise. It took them. A, it's it's gonna take them a little while. It's like right. the drummer in Spinal Tap. They right. just keep rotating them in and out until they find a. a She's kind of like the expendable crew member. Because yeah, like, uh, we see her one episode, she doesn't die, but then no. we just she's totally forgotten. Like they never mention her again. The next time a chief engineer comes, it's a totally different person with a different name. What happened, Paul? Argyle. Argyle. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily she went on to great success uh, on the as a scream queen. So we got to give right. it up to her. Now, uh, Kate, if I could just. The yeah, one thing, the, the the one thing that um, at the very beginning of the episode they do the star date, yeah. And I've never understood one the star date and two like, is there any point where the captain or anybody's like what start what is it what <laughs> point what was it point two or point four I can't remember and my instincts are right because it's a I I found the formula the 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 official formula for creating star dates this is i'm going to read it so i don't screw it up so a star date is a five digit number followed 
by a decimal point and one more digit. Example, 46254.7. The first two digits are the star date uh, of the star date are 46. The 4 stands for 24th century. The 6 indicates 6th season. <laughs> so the star dates will let you know what season of Star Trek we're in. Uh, and then the digit following the decimal point counts tenths of a day. Wow. How do you track tenths of a day when you're doing star logs? Like, what if you have to do one, like, three or four star logs? Or you're doing several a day? Like, it's, this is a insane way of tracking. Hey, Greg, talk to me about this episode. Because technically, this is the second time we are seeing these characters on screen because if we watched the first two episodes together then this is our next opportunity to see them and this is a crazy as fuck episode to sort of reintroduce ourselves to these characters after the first time seeing them yeah i thought it was a really kind of risky move to go from a barely established norms of the characters we talked about this last episode how what it did in encounter at far point was like all right here's you know their basic character uh, arcs or uh, characteristics that you're going to get to know better over the course of the entire season. And then the next episode to be like, hey, we're going to push what you know about these characters, the little that you know, to the extreme and do things that they don't even actually aren't part of their character. Like Jordy, for example, is the first one who gets infected by this uh, intoxicating <clears throat> compound. And he immediately starts talking about how he wants to see as a real human. But that's not actually what Jordy LaForge's character is all about. And I thought it was a really strange way to, to kind of introduce these characters to an audience and be like, oh, here's what you get to know about them. And I guess you get small, interesting parts of their, of their character by having them be so ballooned and larger than life in this episode. Um, but I thought it was really, a really odd choice to go like, here, you barely know these characters, and then here they are at 11, right? Right, right. It's hard to know <laughs> what their baseline is when all of a sudden we're going to crazy town. Yeah. Jimmy, you're laughing. Talk, talk to me, Jimmy. Oh, well, I was laughing about the 11 reference. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Another Spinal Tap reference. Uh, but uh, uh, I do, I, I disagree with Greg on on the premise. I don't think it was very ballsy. Um, if you're a TOS fan, you know that the this is based on uh, the Naked Time. Uh, and not only is it based on that, but the plot structure is, is very, very similar. A lot of similarities. So... I actually think it was very safe. It was a way to um, say, hey, we're doing something a little different, but uh, we have different characters. It's a little further advanced, but we're not going to change everything. Uh, and it was a way of trying to coax those TOS fans uh, into it and, and make them feel a little safe about this whole new venture. So just some of the things that are, are the same. So uh, Mr. Spock uh, and, uh, and one of the Expendable crew members... <laughs> Actually, so very early in the TOS uh, world, they introduced this. We're going to show you somebody who's just going to die. Uh, so they send two people down, um, uh, Spock and Tormalin. Tormalin dies after successfully being treated by McCoy mm -hmm. uh, for this disease. Um, and then uh, they find, you know, people frozen. They find somebody who's frozen in a shower. And this actually plays directly into our episode than it can now because that's the exact thing that Riker had learned in history class in reference back to so it, I mean it's just it it really was tying it in to this is still tar Star Trek in fact we're going to take something that happened to the original crew uh, and we're going to have it reintroduced we're not going to remake it it's just another incident of the same thing happening uh, I, so I, I feel like it was a way of just uh, making them feel safe I agree, but I also think even that is a risk, though, too. If you're trying to be like, hey, this is, which we talked about last episode, of like, if this was not your 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 father's Star Trek, you know, I, it feels very uh, on the nose to have your second episode, basically your first kind of, uh, you know, run out the gate after the pilot, to be a direct reference to a beloved episode of the original one. It almost is like trying to be like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to, do our version of it. And I, I just thought if you were planning out an, a, a, a season, I would put this at like episode 10 or five, you know, mm. like having it be the first kind of procedurally produced episode over a 22 
episode season. That's what I think is not necessarily ballsy, but risky. And I'm not sure it, you know, I mean, I, I, obviously the season continues after this, but I'm not sure if it was successful. Eric, what do you think? I think it was enormously successful for me as a, as an 11 year. (laughs) And I think that's part of the thing. Like, I think the four of us have largely positive associations with this episode. Would, Would you all agree when we're talking? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that I did at the time too. Um, and I know at the time the reviews were kind of terrible and about 10 years later it was revisited and the reviews were kind of terrible again. And now it's starting to be lukewarm. And I think it's because those of us who grew up associating with Wesley primarily instead of someone else primarily enjoyed this episode because it was about us um, kind of sticking it to the man, you know, and we all wanted to do that at the time. It was a Wesley centric episode for the first time. And for me, I was really drawn in, uh, both because it was a sequel to one of my favorite episodes that had Sulu fencing, because mm-hmm. I've been fencing since I was a little kid. Sword fighting is the coolest. So it was a direct sequel to my favorite TOS episode. It was uh, starring a kid that we all kind of wanted to be, having already seen him in several movies at the time. And, like, I was sold and all in on the series from the first time I saw this episode more than the first one. I have to agree with you there, Eric. Last week, I revealed my dual posters on the wall of Jean-Luc Picard and Wesley Crusher. And and you asked me, was was Picard more fatherly figure to to you? And and my answer was, hell no. And this is the episode why. Mm -hmm. That... Beverly and Picard moment, that Crusher mm. Picard moment, that little laugh he gives, <laughs> followed by, followed by, she goes off, off the deck and he gives her that little fucking wave. And then he does that little skip when he comes into sickbay. Mm. Th- that is why I fell in love with him. He is so charming in this episode. So, uh, so uh, just mesmerizing to, to young Kate that I was, I was hooked. I was hooked. I couldn't help it. D- did you know? Interesting story. Uh, uh, Beverly, uh, sorry, um, she has a real name. Gates I don't know McFadden. if you know. Gates McFadden. I know it. Yes, I know. Gates McFadden, this was her audition piece. And she thought that her character was going to be a comic character because these were the scenes that she was reading. So it's interesting to see um, how well she nailed that. And if you think about Crusher and the moments of her levity on you know, in the scenes, you can tell that she's playing it from this point of view of underneath it all, this woman's got a great sense of humor. Mm. She's, she's, she's a go-to gal. (laughs) I once got told in a swimming pool with a bunch of old people that I was a good time gal, which I think meant the old man was calling me a prostitute, but I'm not sure. uh, That's very pervy. (laughs) Was it it Gene Roddenberry? Talking about... Uh, talking specifically about the Beverly and Jean-Luc encounters throughout this episode, like, I I think really all that... Okay, talking about the encounters between Jean-Luc and Beverly in this episode, I was struck again watching it now that all that Patrick Stewart was really known for in the States before this were like I, Claudius, and uh, Excalibur. Dune. Which, and Dune. Dune, Dune uh, but but those those other two, like he has these big, raucous party scenes where he's drunk off his ass, and that's a big part of what his known body of work is as an actor. So having him play this role, if you know, I didn't have this uh, point of view at the time, but now watching his kind of body of work up to now, this is one of his go-to shticks: is drunk guy uh, having fun. <laughs> You know, and as he's gotten older, he's been more open about that on on Twitter and Instagram and stuff, too. Drunk guy having fun is in his wheelhouse. And it's neat to see this clowny kind of actor. And again, you see it with Brent Spiner in this episode, too. Yeah, they they just let some of the physicality ride out. And it's amazing. Yeah. Greg, I know you particularly like that scene as well. Yes, that that like uh, (laughs) like. sound that he makes when Crusher is like just up in his face and like literally trying to kiss him and he's 
so tempted, but is still and a little bit drunk, starting to be bit. as well. And so that like self control moment, I thought that was I, you know that's one of those things where I like was that in the script or was that just him uh, you know expressing his what do I do in this situation? Uh, and no. I still to this day. When people say like, "Oh, Star Trek: Next Generation," this that moment of him like <laughs> uh, is the moment that I think of, which is weird. Like, why? Why that moment, Jimmy? Well, there's so there's two things. One, I I, I hope Eric gets more into the clowning because Eric is oh, yeah. a great clown, um, a brilliant clowner. And uh, so when I was rewatching this, I immediately thought, "I was like, I wonder what Eric has to, to say specifically." about Spiner and Picard's clowning. But the the uh, pats on the back aside, one, this is the, the, the whole Picard and um, uh, Dr. Crusher thing is also, this is a replay because in the TOS version, it's Spock and the nurse who, who touches Spock and then professes her love. He gets infected, and then he's trying to fight not to give into it. Um, his isn't funny uh, like Picard's is because in my one of my favorite moments is when Picard has his arm up on the wall. He's face to face with <laughs> Beverly. She's coming on to him. She's unzipped her uh, her uh, uniform a little bit, and he just says, "Please, Beverly, not now." <laughs> And he's fighting so hard not to be lascivious, but you could tell he's so lascivious. Um, and the, and then, everyone else, is, he like it's outside, so everyone on the bridge is watching, right. and that's why he gets a, like the guilty wave, like he's right. a, a a teen, like saying goodbye to his girlfriend in front of his right. friends. Yeah, yeah. And then and then the second moment is with him again in uh, with Beverly, but they're in sick bay. And he's, you know, they're talking and he's like, oh, of course. Why wouldn't you call me Jean-Luc? I called you Beverly. I started it. And then when he leaves, he does this little thing with his head <laughs> where he goes like, and you can't see it on the podcast, but he like, he he bobbles his head back and forth like, oh, okay. And then he leaves and I'm like. He does a full Ned Ryerson to the camera. Yes, on his yes, 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 yes. It's absolutely Ned Ryerson. That's exactly what it is. Brilliant. <laughs> it is Ned Ryerson. He calls her Bev, and then he turns towards the camera and shakes yes. his little head. Yes. <laughs> so incredible. Nailed so it. Unexpected. You barely see it. Like, oh, he's a genius. Nailed it. Ned Ryerson. Brilliant. Well, Eric, let's talk a little bit about the clowning in this episode, because there is some beautiful stuff, especially with Brent Spiner. Just, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I was cackling like a, an idiot rewatching this episode. There were just so many moments. And, and when he comes in, at least you're functioning fully. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yes. Which, by the way, we'll talk about that episode or that, that, that moment. Don't you worry. Those two lines. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I'm and then right as he's coming down the you know the gangway on the bridge he's proving how fully functional me he has all the same quirks and bullshit that we do, uh including this weird uh proclivity to acting drunk when he's infected with this same thing that's that's fucking with us but the drunk work he does here is such a specific type of drunk work that he's doing he's referencing so many old movies he's referencing mm -hmm. Shakespeare, Harpo Marx, and yeah, he's he's referencing uh, uh, any of the the, the what, Hall Halifernis in uh, uh, Love's Labor's Lost or uh, uh, you know Falstaff. He's he's got the uh, Ray Bulger no bones scarecrow shit going on in a sci-fi futuristic right setting, and he's decided to amp it up so that it's clearly a performative choice. And it to like it totally works. He does Eddie, little Eddie Izzard arms, and then right as the camera kind of moves off, he does Inspector Clouseau on his way uh, down into <laughs> yeah. the ground. Like well, on Pratfall. Yeah, fully shameless, incredible. <laughs> right. Like, falling down right. is my thing. Like I say, right. yeah, I, I fell 400 times last year uh, for paycheck. Right. Like, it's the best. And it's this one ticks all the boxes. You don't expect yeah. It is fully committed, and it, like 
you barely see it. Like once you register it, it's right. over and on and we've moved on. And you know what, Eric? I don't even know if it's not that I didn't expect it. I kind of expected that he would fall just the way he was going. But it's like summer theater where you do so many things and then you do the spit take. And you're like, I know everybody thinks I'm going to do the spit take, but I got to do the spit take. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Everyone's anticipating waiting for it to right. happen. And then check off Spratt fall. <laughs> right. You've <laughs> earned it. Yeah. Do the spit take. Yeah. A and thousand times. It's like, uh, it's great. And I love that they had Merchant of Venice in there. If you prick me, oh, do yeah. I not leak? Uh, do I not bleed? It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. But yeah. he says leak. <laughs> do I like not? An Let's would. be clear. And maybe he was a little precious with it. With it, do I not? And he bobs his head a little bit. Leak. <laughs> like, all right. Well, we and that reminds going. me. That reminds me of to be or not to be. Like it's a Jack Benny reference as well, almost at the same it's time. Layers. Like, There's lots of layers. There are like and it's an onion. He's from such a place. If you remember him on Night Court, yes. like is physical uh, crazy clown. And yeah. music theater guy, like that's where he really shined before, during, and after this. It's just a freaking joy to watch. I will say though, my little science fiction pedantic head is like, wait, still, how could he be drunk? I don't really get it. Like it's just, it's so hand waved. Being like, my answer to that is, uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true of a lot of the, uh, you know the yeah. pseudoscience that's thrown around yeah. but in this one it still bothers me i'm still just like i just don't want and again i might have liked it if it was in the end of the first season or something like that i just think i think a lot of our joy from seeing these characters uh act this way is because we have seven seasons worth of knowledge of these characters and a right. love of nostalgia that we're going back to i'm just trying to think of the first person who's like oh this is the second episode they're watching down i don't know if they would have enjoyed it because they it it's not funny that's what i'm saying see them i did their norms. i was just right. young and i really loved it i i think that uh, the intent behind the, the that writing choice to dial them up to 11 that quick was to show us uh, a glimpse into a no filter look into what each of the characters really 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 wants out of life and that mm. is what we see we get that whole monologue from tasha about being seen as a person and someone who uh, survived the rape gang since she was five like it's not a sexy scene she comes out with this incredibly sexy dress and talks about how you know she she is in control of her own life now god damn it and then you have the scene with jordy who is touching someone's face he barely knows, which in this era of the pandemic makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> that was but very hard. He's watch. talking about what he's yearning for, too. And Picard lets down his, his sternness that he fears letting down. And, so, and, and Beverly shows interest in a man since her husband has passed away, which, you know, I think it's all of these were the intention of saying, this is what all of these people really want. Alcohol is a truth serum. Let's see what happens now that they see it. And it's not it's alcohol, right? It's important to note that it's totally it's not. But they say it not functions alcohol, that a, way. Yeah, it has the effect as if. But well, let me ask you three, who are probably more performers than I am, uh, is there something to allowing these characters that you just kind of got under your wing and have them go up to eleven as performers, and then and then you're like, okay, I know where the boundaries are now, and I know how to pull it back, and almost could galvanize. Uh, a crew around something like this if you're like all right well, let's just go balls to the wall to begin with and you know say a lot of yes ands in the in the taping and then okay now we can go back and do our show once we got this out of our system is that is that a thing that happens i mean it's certainly a trial by fire uh where you have to make really big choices really quickly and you know i, I love to say that in my own work go big or go home um you know loud and proud wrong and strong that's me on stage <laughs> But I mean, giving the opportunity, I think, to flex their muscles a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I can see both sides of it because I can also see as an actor thinking I, I do not have enough information about who I am to proceed forward with this. You know, obviously you, you make it work, but it, it is an interesting challenge to throw at a, especially a new ensemble that's working together for the first time. Eric? I say the moment that sticks out at me the most about something that I would have loved as an actor is playing either Troy or Riker. They gave him that where he carries her down the hall and she like folds herself into this fetal position around him. And the, the size difference of those two actors in that moment, I think, can't but help 
to have informed their relationship on screen for the whole rest of the time shooting that. Like they got to do that yeah. on the second, uh, you know, the second episode, and that informs their entire rest of their physical relationship. Can't help but. Yeah, that's true. And Riker ends up being the I think the most. You said this is Wesley's episode. I feel like this is Riker's episode because he's the one who moves the plot along. Like he's reacting mostly to uh, what's happening, but he's the one who figures out that it was on the. Uh, you know, the original Enterprise, you know, he's the one who's like, we've got to do this or everyone's going to die. Like, and he, he's like, I'm not going to have sexual relations with you, Troy, because I need to do this or we're all going to die. Let's just say, though, that he found it out by uh, Googling the way my mother does. Right. By saying, I <laughs> right. remember one time I saw yeah. a thing. Yeah. It was about a person who did that thing. Yes. Can yes. you find it? Right. And you do the line that Data does all, every time. We're like, can you give me a little bit more information? Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that he gets credit for any of that. I agree with Eric uh, it, it, in a certain, uh, to a certain extent that in a lot of ways this is Wesley's episode. He's, uh, I, I, he saves the day, as yes. it were. Of course, he's also responsible for completely fucking that day over. Yep. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's questionable whether he made up for that or not. But you know what a beautiful moment where the first time we see him, he's got that uh, a tractor ray that or he's got that um, tractor beam that he's tractor turned beam into a repulsor ray beam that, or... that turns into a repulsor beam. Beam. Repul- rep- I'll, I'll start over again. <laughs> God, I'm so drunk, you guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm on that thing. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna go shoot up heroin. <laughs> To get through this. It's well, great. let's talk. Let's talk about. I want to. I want to talk about the scene, the scene that I think for us at the age that we were when we watched this. You know, you we've we've danced around it, and Eric, you talked about the juxtaposition of this scene uh, between Tasha and Data, um, where we've got this, you know, sort of lovely little breakdown where she gets to talk about. Um, her her history and and what she had to go through and all this strength with i think my first introduction to underboob at the same time <laughs> can i read well. you what krista told me to say to you all yes please krista said because she was kind of watching in the background uh she does not uh care to watch the series but she will sit next to me while i watch the series and she said i have a massive hard on for her underboob <laughs> <laughs> Fair I think, enough. I think all four so, of us did also when yeah. we were watching it. That's so yeah. hot. I mean, what about the curl, though? Oh, oh the, I didn't like the, the curl. Superman curl? The I Superman like the curl. curl. I didn't like the curl. I'm all right with it. Of course. I'm all right with the are. curl. Yeah, it's very Myrna Loy. <laughs> Let's talk about the fact that Data was programmed with certain yeah of course uh, skill sets you can't yeah, uh, but of course yeah but no, of course? you can't endeavor to create something that you want to experience humanity without giving them all the things that humanity can experience fully functional. it'd be impossible to say i want you to have a human experience and not be able to have sex so dr noonian sung uh <clears throat> you're saying that he pro there he, like, are humans the who do not have and- sex there are humans who choose not to have sex, but that is a small part of the human experience. Sure. So in the general sense, though, if you're going to create an android with the sole purpose as when Noonien soon wanted, like, I want you to be human, you're my Pinocchio, then of course, wait, you have to endow them with everything that a human would have. Does Pinocchio have a dick? <laughs> Pinocchio has the biggest dick. Nine inches of When length. he tells the truth, the dick gets longer. <laughs> it is big. Doesn't it feel like there should be an unwritten Isaac Isomoff rule, though, about yes. <laughs> robots and sex? That's also... the first thing. When androids become a real thing, they will start as sex bots. Guaranteed. They already Jude are. Jude Law and AI. There you go. Yeah. But that scene in particular, I know we when we first talked about putting this podcast together, and aren't you all so glad that we did? <laughs> this episode was one of the ones that we talked about at great length being such a, a huge influence on us. To this day, if anybody says anything remotely about function or functionality, my husband and I would just look at each other and say, fully. It's it's a it's a twenty year part of our marriage now. Uh that cannot that bond cannot be broken. And we almost named this podcast Fully Functional. Because we did. Of it. Please let us know if you're mad that we didn't. 
Jimmy would love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, so I, but this was, as you talked about earlier, like this was one of the scenes that Rod and Mary inserted, right? That's the. That, that's, that's the impression that I get based on, based on my research. So is there something in here that is, or at least was objectionable to the, the performers that they didn't enjoy it? The writers were like, I didn't, I didn't, what, what about it did you think, uh, or did any of us think felt off? This is a total me guessing. I'm going to guess that, that, that DC Fontana wrote the section about, uh, Char's, uh, sorry, Yars, Tasha Yars, uh, history and growing up and escaping the rape gangs. And then she was put in the context of under boob shirt, uh, mm, totally, yeah. you know, sexual aggressor. That's just a, a instinct I have. I have no idea, but that would certainly throw me off if I had written a piece that was meant to be very exploratory and sentimental and is being delivered in this way. Mm-hmm. Well, she does uh, straight up walk up to the guy in the hallway before that. Just like, we're going to make out now. And can we talk about And implies quickly? that it brings people to the room. He's having did fun. Did Jordy, on, on his fun. way going from, uh, uh, you know, did he just touch every single person as he walked by? Because it seems like he's the only one who's infected. And then all of a sudden people are making out in the engineering room. Uh, this shit is airborne. No, they are not wearing not. masks. It's not airborne because he. Oh, that's what you say. Touch. What does Fox say? <laughs> <laughs> I love that Jordy gets, you know, it, the intoxicated feeling, and the first place he goes is to hang out with Wesley. <laughs> He's like, hey, buddy. Need, need me yeah, to get I you know. a six pack? It's a good uh, repulsor beam you got there, buddy. He's uh, Matthew McConaughey in uh, uh, Days and Confused. He's like, all right, all right, all right. We, uh, let's talk about that other ship, though. That other ship had a... They got turned. Like, they... That that was... There was a full-on naked orgy happening. They had that, fun before they quarters. died. Yes. That was and do you, do you remember that someone in the last episode also had that freeze effect? Yes. Them? So they were really getting the, their use out of whatever freeze blower... <laughs> Piece of technology they had. They they, <laughs> the ILM they, guy was like, oh, "We can freeze them again. Oh, yeah, two more. It. We can do two more scenes, guys. Two more. It's perfect." So, someone was like, "If we're gonna buy that, damn it, we're gonna use it. We gotta yeah. use it." Hold on. I would love to talk about because we've already talked about Jordy and his touching. Um, it just for me, it's kind of becoming a thing now. I want to talk about the bad Tasha Yar moments. Um, and like, when Jordy bumps into her, or she finds him in the one of the little off rooms on uh, uh, on the starship, it's and the observation lounge. Observation lounge. He's begging her for help, and, and the writers. This isn't her fault. The writers give her the line, "Jordy, I'm a security," and she stops. <laughs> I, I just wanted. <laughs> what were the writers thinking of? How does that line end? Like, the, her response to somebody in desperate need is to tell them that isn't my job. <laughs> that isn't my yeah. job. I Honestly, do that, that sounds very much like uh, the current debate that is going on in the world. <laughs> should that be the police's job? And no, it should not. No. Be the I like how she just. I like how she decides he's more important. Though. Oh right, she's, she's right, got right. her priorities right. She talks out her monologue out there. She's like, wait, no. Helping right. someone is more important. You're right. <laughs> she and says it I mean. out literally. No, <laughs> helping someone's more important. <laughs> that's what I mean. I don't think there's a lot of subtext in this episode. I think that no. was on purpose. You know, we can argue about whether it worked or not, and certainly sometimes it does not. But like, I think right. they they have this truth serum that just comes out, and uh, that means everybody gets a villain monologue. Except for Worf, who does not Doesn't get, get intoxicated at all. But he has perhaps the best line in this entire episode where uh, he says, I don't get their humor either. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thinking, you know, because they're all starting acting a little bit weird. And he starting the tradition of him having just that one line with that deadpan delivery that is consistent through Worf for the rest of the, 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 right. the series. And I love that he jumps from console to console to see if it'll work. Let me yes. try it over here. 
That felt like uh, a Let very... me try it over here. Yes. I'm going to go back over here. And how about Riker sitting on the console when he talks to uh, Data, when he does the Google moment? He just sits down on the console when I watched it the so second casual. time. I was like, do the buttons recognize your butt? Like, they know not to function now that it's your ass on it and not your fingertips. Okay, that's high tech, man. I did want to talk a little bit about the uh, the mysteriousness of this illness and how it is passed from one person to the next. You you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but there's this moment where uh, where Riker brings in Troy, and then he touches Beverly, and Beverly says, "You touched Troy," and "Oh God, you touched me." And all I could think was, "You've been touching Jordy for the entire episode." I don't understand how this is passed. Oh, that's a very good continuity moment thing. But the sound effect didn't play when he touched uh, Jordy, or when she, when Crusher touched Jordy. Have you, did you guys noticed that? That that's very every single time it gets transmitted. Oh, the pssst. there's a psh kind of sound that happens, and that's how you know like, oh, they're infected that. now too. You gotta listen to it with the. I've seen know, this a up. thousand times, and I have never heard that. That's amazing. I'm really. Yeah. yeah, I've never, I've heard the never, it's never clocked the shot going, psst, but I've yeah, no, heard it's, them. but it's a similar hyperspray kind of sound, uh, similar sound effect. Mm, but that's yeah, cool, no, and it, it gets to the next person, and that's what happens. So it's there is some continuity in that, and that like, oh well, we just didn't get the the clue that it had been transferred, right? So let's put yourself back in the day. You've just seen this episode. You've seen Encounter at Farpoint. What are you expecting in the future? I think it's kind of interesting that they did a, well, I guess it's not so interesting now, but like it feels very, you know, if us looking back that this is the episode in a bottle, right? Like this is a procedural show, which is very different from how TV from like Sopranos onward, you know, is produced. If you, if you ignore all the, uh, you know, the CBS uh, law and order spinoffs and whatnot, but right. Like, so this, this going back and watching this, it feels very much like, Oh yeah, no, this is, beginning middle and end and they end every episode with like we're gonna go on to the next thing you know and uh that for me was the that the, what struck me was like oh this is really great that we're gonna have these little mini sci-fi short stories you know you mentioned asimov like this was this is getting uh you know geared up to have these little mini dramas happen every every week and i love that eric uh, i honestly have no idea what i what i expected after this, I know I was all in um, at the time, but I wonder if uh, his final line, if Captain Picard's final line, would have made me freak out then, like it does now, where he says, "You know, it'll all be all right" or whatever, if we avoid temptation. And I'm like, "What are you talking? That's that's just so inappropriate at work, right?" He's looking around at everybody. <laughs> they have sex with each other. The whole episode just says, hey, Beverly, you know, we all got to avoid you. temptation and we might get out of this alive, right? Oh, my God. Do you think that fun. was a callback to like the original series? Because they ended a lot of the original series episodes with the three main characters kind of like summing up the moral of what they learned over the course of the whole thing, right? And I feel like this was trying to write that into this and they quickly abandoned that for, for Next Generation where they didn't really do that as often. Well, and uh, sure. Greg, it's great that you bring that up right now because the ending line of TOS, uh, if, if you don't recall, the, the, the situation is similar where they're going to crash into a planet rather than uh, the, the planet coming to them. And Scotty comes up with a way for them to uh, mix matter and antimatter together <clears throat> in a way that's never been done. Uh, and they do it and it allows them to move faster than anything has ever moved. But it sends them 71 hours into the uh, past. So they know what to do. Uh, and Spock brings that up in the line that um, uh, Captain Kirk gives to Spock about, we've just discovered Kirk. time travel is, uh, we may risk it someday, Mr. Spock. So he, it's a little throwaway line uh, at the end of it. But I mean, it has huge implications because as we know, Spock does come back later in the canon and use uh, time travel uh, pretty significantly. Well, the original series, it was supposed to dovetail right into a uh, time travel episode. It was supposed to be a two-part arc that they didn't go back hours. It went back 
millennia and they're like they deal with it's the episode where they deal with the american air force base do you remember that mm, um, oh supposed to be part of the same episode arc uh but they ended up just wrapping it up and calling it good and doing that one a little bit later i didn't know doing that. a whole new time travel amazing and now we're time traveling oh metaphorically <laughs> metaphorically well in one direction <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I've got that, that, that scene with Tasha Yar right now, and I've just been playing it on repeat for like the last week, just like I would have when I was nine. No wonder you're so distracted. <laughs> so in our, our final moments together, anything you want to sum up about this episode and how, it, how it's stuck with you all these years or how it's hit your eyes anew here with this most recent viewing? Uh, well, for me, looking back, uh, I don't recall seeing episode two or three, however it's categorized, uh, and thinking anything other than it's just another episode. Like, it, I never questioned that um, these characters could go as to 11 as they did. Uh, and that's because I had seen all of the original, I think. And I so already I knew that this was possible. I knew. Um, one, because I'd literally seen the exact same, uh, very similar episode, but just within the Star Trek canon, I knew crazy things happen and it's going to make them do crazy stuff. Um, but I just accepted it, I guess. I, I, I took it, uh, I took them at their word, but looking at it the second time, um, I was pretty excited to see uh, what the actors could do which I wasn't even thinking about then. I was just saying, oh, this is fun. But now looking and seeing, look how far some actors could really go and do stuff believably. And uh, that was fun to see some of them do uh, do some stuff that they regrettably didn't, many of them never actually got back to. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, I... Thank <laughs> I was excited, uh, probably less so then, but more thinking about it now that they could, they did their referential episode, right? They did the episode that was uh, mm -hmm. fan service mm -hmm. to people who were immediately going to compare next generation cast and story and staff and crew with the original series that had become beloved uh, so much. And so they kind of were like then free. They could be like, all right, now we did that. We got the, right. the characters and now we can tell our own stories and delve into uh, the characters that we've set up so excellently over these first two episodes. Uh, and you know, and I thought that maybe that was the smartest move of all was just to be like, okay, fan service done. Let's right. go explore. That's a good point, Greg. And, and we saw it in the very first one, right? We saw McCoy. Right. And then he immediately followed up with, okay, here's another little nod. And we don't see it until like episode 130 or something in season four when uh, when Scotty shows up. Right. And Relic. do another so, direct reference like that. Right. Yeah. I love that they started with two you know, nominal sequels, uh, like direct reference sequels. And then mm -hmm. you go to Scotty. And then in Deep Space Nine, you get to the triples. You know, like... It, when they, when you space it out right. much, I, I I get excited for the next one instead of kind of dreading going back to the well. Um, I had two things in this episode. I was always curious why setting the transporters to um, what's the, what's the setting? Full decontamination. Like, shouldn't that be a default setting for the transporters? I mean, if you could, Probably. shouldn't you do it? Like, that just seems like a no-brainer to me. But I guess you can say, you know, set it to full decontamination. What works. if there's a life form that has a symbiotic relationship Ooh. with a disease, and Ooh. if you did that, you would kill them, Eric? Ooh. Mm. Well, right, then you should never do it, Greg. Uh, <laughs> but I want to read that. I want to read all of it. <laughs> and then the other thing is that the music, which, you know, we love Mr. Berman, and we love the stuff that, that happens kind of all the way through. Like... It is full soap opera. Like at the end of the scene, it's dun, dun, dun. like it is right. still the uh, hour long drama of the late 80s as opposed to hour long drama of the late 90s, which tried to at least nod in a different musical direction there. Oh, yeah. That cold open. Is that what you're talking about? The end of the cold open where it's like, yeah. yes, sir. 
all dead. He's got like red light on his face, and it's like chilled. Yeah. It's a beat longer than it feels comfortable for us as TV watchers. Now we're like, all right, yeah, we got it. It's it's the, <laughs> right. it's the kind of reaction that that they started to land on CSI Miami. Like it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I was ready for him to like take his sunglasses off. <laughs> I think for me, in retrospect, this is one of my favorite episodes. But I think it is with what Jimmy was saying, it's because I have all of these seasons to know these characters yeah. and to see how they're acting. And we've got some phenomenal actors in this series. I mean, they really were, they really did luck out with having a, a pretty across the board. Now, I know that there are some performances that have, that leave something to be desired, but you know, you've got Patrick Stewart, you've got LeVar Burton, you've got Brent Spiner, you've got these, you know, actors who've had pretty amazing, uh, theater careers before they came into this world. Yeah, Gates McFadden. D Gates, just delivering these beautiful, large, but grounded, right? Like, over the top, but grounded for the reality of, of that world. Um, I just love it. I, and I, I do recognize that it is problematic, and I see that. And yet, my heart just still longs for it. It's, it's true. I can't help it. It shaped, it shaped young Kate. Mm-hmm. And we want to know how it shaped you. So if you want to follow us on social media, and why wouldn't you? You can find us at ReEngageTNG on both Twitter and Instagram. Come on by, say hello. Jimmy G would be happy to answer all of your questions personally. But thank you so much for joining us on this episode, and we look forward to next week. In the meantime, let's re-engage. Make it so. Dun, dun. Let's get our fans back.